4: This is the Cork Today replay on C103. A very good morning to you. You're welcome along to the programme. John Paul's taking your calls at 18.50, as we've been covering on our news bulletin uh, all morning today. 10,000 hospital support workers have walked off the job. They are on strike today. They include chefs, laboratory aides, porters and healthcare assistants. Some 38 hospitals and healthcare facilities have been affected by this 24-hour strike. There's also, I'm reading the in the paper, some disruption to mental health uh, services and about, they reckon, 4,500 day procedures which are normally scheduled for Wednesdays. They are now not going ahead and many of them include uh, colonoscopies and some of the worst affected are waiting list patients whose surgeries were postponed for safety reasons and you would have to feel for those people because if they've been on a waiting list for quite some time they finally get the date for their procedure now to only discover there's going to be, uh, it has had to be cancelled. Now the hospital managers say they are making every effort and did make every effort yesterday to contact people whose appointments had to be put back because of today's industrial action and they are advising people that unless you heard otherwise, turn up because it doesn't mean everything has been cancelled today so if you heard from them then you know your procedure's been cancelled but if you haven't and I know yesterday we were getting some calls in from people saying they had an appointment today and they didn't know what was going on so the advice is if you didn't hear otherwise then turn up as normal for your appointment. Some are saying though if you're going for an appointment bring your own sandwiches with you but I don't know if that's a bit uh, more tongue in cheek. We've already heard from somebody who has been in Cork University Hospital which is one of the hospitals affected to bring your own tissues with you if you need to the toilet because somebody has been popped into a toilet this morning at uh, CUH to, and back to us saying no toilet paper in most of the loos uh, is what's been reported to us hygiene out the window Today and that's not something you want to hear coming out of a hospital, is it? So bring your own tissues with you, please. Always carry tissues because you never know when you go into a toilet that that can happen. So make sure if you're going to any of the hospitals today, bring to, to please bring uh, tissues with you. Now it's the large, the country's largest trade union step two. They are taking on what has been described as their biggest employer today in the in the dispute. Now this dispute could potentially cripple the health service because while we're today focused on a 24-hour strike, there are three strikes in a row, three days in a row looming for next week. They're threatening if nothing gets sorted out Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, they will be back out on the picket line. And the union have also threatened to ballot staff on strike action at a further 20 hospitals to add to the 38 hospitals and healthcare facilities that are out today, What's it all over? It's all over pay and pay rises. Now, SIP2 are accusing the government of reneging on a commitment. The government have given a commitment to give pay rises to this group of workers worth up to €3,000 each. SIP2 are demanding that it pays what will accumulatively be €19 million. They uh, they've agreed to it following job evaluation and they found pay rises were just were justified because thousands of its members roles have been uh, changed. So SIP2 are saying you've agreed to it. Give us the money now. No sign of a return to talks yesterday. Ministers were demanding that everyone went back to the Labour court. That didn't happen yesterday. There was last ditch negotiations between SIP2 and the government officials. That was on Monday. They all collapsed the union claimed massive gap between them the union demanded that 16.2 million due to staff except the chefs i don't know why they were leaving the chefs out they want that paid but they say when they went into these last minute negotiations with the government on monday sip to say the government are only putting 1.2 million on the table and that's Big gap between that and the 16 million SIP2 are looking for. Government sources say no, that's not the case, that what they were offering was only the first of three pay hikes that were discussed. They say a total of around 7 million was being offered, including another 5 million next year and a further increase in 2021. But the union want the full amount paid in November. So that seems to be the. The block that's in the way. The government are saying yes, these workers are due these money are due this, the increases. They are entitled to it, but the government are deciding when they want to pay it. They almost want to give the increases in installments that would go right up to twenty twenty one. Whereas the union are saying no, you've agreed to these pay increases, pay them and uh, pay them now. And while that's all going on, a lot of those. 10,000 workers, all of them I imagine are going to be quite annoyed to read that the government signed off on what some newspaper commentators are saying an unacceptable pay increase for the country's top judges. And they've signed off on that while they're refusing to increase the workers' the healthcare workers who are some of the lower paid workers within the health system. It emerged yesterday that pay increases for judges were signed off by the Taoiseach of Varadkar by way of a statutory instrument. And the matter came before a private meeting of the Oireachtas Finance Committee yesterday. Uh, Some of the papers uh, citing some of the increases, for example, the Chief Justice will increase, his pay will now increase to over a quarter of a million euro a year, 256,584 euro. Nice job if you can get it. And the President of the High Court sees an increase of an increase to €238,257. So that's going to be quite galling for the workers who are out on strike today. 1850 Your thoughts and comments welcomed. I'm assuming normally whenever we have healthcare workers out on strike, there's always a huge amount of public support for them. I think it's just one of those things... you you all hope that you're not going to end up in hospital uh, but you all hope that if you do or if a loved one ends up in hospital we know the role that these people play. We know how important they are. We know how we will need that we may need them one day and people always want to make sure that they are being uh, looked after. So I'm assuming they'll have as much public support as nurses have had when they've gone out on strike before. 1850 333103 Would also love to hear from anyone who is has been affected by it in the, the, are you one of the thousands of patients on a waiting list in need of surgery or another procedure that's had to be cancelled because the strike has gone ahead and the worry is the three days of strike action for next week, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. Also coming up on the programme this morning, I'm going to be speaking with Nora Casey The well-known businesswoman, she joins us to talk about the programme. I don't know if you saw it on TV last night. If you did, I'd love your thoughts and comments on it. The programme was on at seven o'clock yesterday evening on RTE following the news. It was called Coming Home when Dublin honoured the Magdalene's. And it was that special weekend that we'd actually spoken about on the programme because we were trying to get the message out to Magdalen Laundry survivors that this special weekend was was on because when we spoke with Nora Casey at the time they were having difficulty finding addresses of people and then i also made the point at the time there are people who were who are Magdalen Laundry survivors who've never spoken to anybody else about the fact that they spent time in a Magdalene laundry. So there are women who have gone on to get married and have families who never spoke to their husband, never spoke to their children, never spoke to anyone about what had happened to them. And we were trying to get the message out to those people that look, those ladies, this is a special, special weekend just for you, for you to be honoured, for the government to once again, as Enda Kenny did back in 2013, wasn't it? to say sorry and to to say what happened to you shouldn't have happened uh, to you and there was this wonderful weekend uh, arranged and I didn't realise at the time that a camera crew were going to be following and and they did and they put together this half hour programme which went out last night I found it very emotional I have to say particularly the scenes where the women were getting off the bus and coming into the mansion house and the ordinary good decent people of Dublin turned out in their hundreds to cheer them on and the women were just so thrilled, so, so thrilled, and so touched by the fact that, you know, ordinary people wanted to say, you know, you've welcome home. You're amazing women. It was awful what you went through. And it was lovely. It was to me a lovely, lovely part of the programme. We'll speak with Nora Casey on the programme this morning. If you have a son or daughter who has just completed the leaving search, you will. No doubt if they are planning on going on to third level education are no doubt already starting to worry about the cost of sending a student for third level education. There is a study just out, it's an annual study that comes out every year that looks at the cost, they, they factor in everything, they factor in registration fees. There are no fees for third level education or so we're, t- we're told but yet there's this registration fee that has to be paid and then you've got all the other Costs if you're living away from home, accommodation obviously is going to be a biggie, because food, light, heating, everything else will come into that. Uh, if your child is staying at home, there's the unless you live beside the university or the college of their choice, you've got the cost of commuting and all the other costs that go go with going to third level education. So we're looking at that report and also to, listening to some tips about how you can reduce the cost, particularly. If you have a son or daughter who needs to go to Dublin, it's probably the worst place in the world from a cost point of view for someone to to decide to study. But if there's a particular course that a young person wants to do and it's only available in a Dublin university, they don't have much choice. And if they're coming from Cork, they can't commute. They have to stay. And that brings with it huge costs. I think it's up to about 12000 a year. If if a student wants to stay in Dublin, crazy, crazy money. There are ways of saving on that. So we'll be listening uh, to some of those suggestions as well. We're going to be discussing electric cars at about... 20 past half past 11 Uh, today we have an expert joining us on electric cars and we're going to try and answer some of the questions that came up last week when we were discussing the government's climate action plan there was a huge amount of negativity about the electric cars one of the biggest ones was the fear factor that you'd be going on your journey from A to B and your battery would die and there you'd be on the side of the road what what would you do, where would you go, how would you get your car charged, how would you know that your battery is going to make the journey. Other people were talking about uh, the cost of, well, the cost of the cars came up themselves, but also the cost of a replacement battery. And people were saying that how long do the batteries last? Some were saying they don't last very long and there are thousands of euro to replace. And people are just worried around this whole notion of all of us moving to electric cars. And the government climate action plan is saying that by 2030, which is 11 years' time, 100% of cars on the road are going to be uh, electric. So if that's the plan then we all need to start really seriously looking at electric cars and finding out as much as we can about them. So if you have a question to do with electric cars and the driving of electric cars and the charging of them and the cost of them and all of that, get it in and we'll put it to our uh, expert after 11 uh, today. Uh, we also are going to have our bi-monthly feature with a wallet. This is offering advice to people who find themselves in mortgage arrears or in debt arrears. And today we're going to really sort of focus on Actually dealing with the bank. If you find yourself in the situation where you're up to your eyeballs in debt and the letters are coming from the banks, I don't know, are the banks still ringing people? There were at one stage, it's, it almost sounded like the banks were harassing people when they found themselves in financial difficulties. So we're going to talk about how you deal with the banks and what's available to you. And we'll look at some case studies just to give examples to, for people if you do find yourself in that situation where you are. Uh, just drowning in debt and it must be an awful, awful place uh, to be. And it is Wednesday, so Peter Dowdle of the um, com will join us on what's wonderful weather for gardening to answer all of your gardening questions. If you've been out in the garden this week and come across a problem uh, and you want some some gardening issue addressed, Peter's your man. You can get your questions in. Some of your thoughts coming in on the... 10,000 workers who are out on the picket line today in some 38 hospitals. It's chefs, laboratory aides, porters and healthcare care assistants mounting a 24 hour strike because they've been promised a pay increase. The government accepts they are deserving of this pay increase, but they want it sooner rather than later. Somebody says, John says, what about people in the private sector who are wor- working for 10 euro an hour? um i assume from that john that you feel that these workers are earning enough and that they don't deserve even though there was there was uh, research done and they did comparisons and they looked at the job They, they did, it was an evaluation that's the word I'm looking for they did an evaluate, job evaluations and they found that pay rises were justified because thousands of the members roles had changed and I'm assuming if they did a job evaluation and their jobs had changed they've obviously taken on additional roles and for that they're entitled to extra pay but John is saying you wouldn't get the same if you were in the private sector working for €10 Euro an hour and Jim says if the nuns were running our hospitals this strike would not be happening all their volunteers work was taken for granted Boris by the way says Jim will open the eyes of the government and the union's when we will have a no deal Brexit and our country can no longer balance the books, says Jim. Something I think everybody is terrified of. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three and a number of WhatsApps in from people saying they watched that programme that I spoke about last night called uh, "Coming Home" about the Magdalen survivors um, and people saying wonderful, wonderful programme and, and well done to everyone, in particular to Nora Casey. And that's where we're going next after these. In June of last year, more than one hundred brave women, all Magdalen Laundry survivors, were overwhelmed by the reception they received during a dramatic homecoming in Dublin. The event was captured in a TV program, "Coming Home," when Dublin honoured the Magdalen's, which aired last night on RTE. Nora Casey, well-known businesswoman, was the brainchild behind the event, and uh, she joins me. Good morning, to you, Nora. Well, good morning, Patricia. Nora. For having me. I, well, it's 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 our privilege. You were with the women at all of the events. Did last night's programme capture the atmosphere?
1: Yes, I think it's very hard in a short timescale like that to truly tell the story behind these women. We wanted to. I, I, I went back and talked to four of the women about what it meant to them and, of course, thought a little bit more about their lives. I think that when there's, there were hundreds, 300 in total between all of the women and their, their carers and loved ones. Um, I think that Deirdre Cadwell from Waterbridge was just one of the most powerful voices in the programme. It was um, incredible to talk to her. She spoke for the first time at the event. She'd never spoken to her family. I think she always describes it as being very hard to show affection because of what happened to her. And um, and she wanted to go back to Hyde Park and Drom where she was incarcerated. And you can see on the programme how difficult that was for her. At this stage in her life, you know, it's just hard for people to understand that the trauma that these women suffered, it goes on into their lives and and actually goes on into the generations after that. Um, I, I think that Dublin Honours Moutilence was a very healing event, much, much more so than I expected. Of course, it was really important to bring the women together and ask them how they would like to be commemorated. But even coming together and sharing their stories and understanding it wasn't just them and them alone that it happened to. I think the magic of the president of Ireland apologising to them, all those people who came out into the streets to welcome them. You know, I, I, I feel that I couldn't ever replace the memories, the really hard memories of their lives, but maybe add a new memory to it. Um, and well, I think
4: so you certainly, you certainly did that. I, I thought the scene at the Mansion House, where the you know the good, decent, ordinary people of Dublin yeah. turned out, I found that incredibly emotional to watch. Yeah. It must have been electric to have been there. I saw you on the bus filming yeah. it. I mean, I don't even think you realised how many people were going to be there.
1: I knew I was so, to be honest, drowning in the organisation of the event. And, and most of those women didn't have email or mobile phones or, you know, even to get their flight details to them. And there was a a little army behind me trying to literally organise all the logistics. And I went on um, Ray Darcy and he said, what can we do to help? And I said, look, to be honest with you, if you really want to honour these women, then come out into the streets and honour them. And that's as much as it took. It kind of took off on its own. And uh, as you say, I didn't know what to expect because we were up in Aris and Uchtran. And it was a bit flat because, most of the women felt that the highlight of the trip was the visit to the President's house. And um, in fact, I think the highlight happened the day after. But nonetheless, we were on the buses. It was very quiet, very reflective. A lot of the women were murmuring to each other. It was probably the first time since, you know, the excitement of arriving and getting ourselves over to the Phoenix Park that they'd really, truly understood why they were there. A lot of them had met each other by then. And it was quite a sombre journey and I left them to it I didn't want to I think people sometimes need that space but as we were returning from Stevens Green I stood up and said okay I think you're in for a big surprise so they kept saying who's coming why are all these people here is there somebody important coming or is you know some great football star and I said they're all here for you and I think I that little piece of film you saw was from my camera my phone and um Honestly, when you saw the women coming off the buses, it, it, it was just beyond emotional. It was there was so many tears, so many hugs. Um, we were there for a good hour and a half um, with those amazing people who came out with their signs. You know, welcome home, sisters. We're so proud of you. And um, for the women, like you can see there were, you know, I, I describe it as there was bars. Obviously, you can see the bars in front of the mansion, house, but in a really good way. You know, there was people reaching through those bars, wanting to hug them, wanting to hold their hand, giving them solidarity and support. But they
4: were just, they were walking on, on cloud nine. And I mean, yeah. these were women who believed in their heart and soul that they were the lowest of the low.
1: Exactly, Patricia. I mean, I think that was said to me so many times by the women, like it started very early on with them saying, I was so ashamed of myself. I never even told my family. I, you know, I can't believe I have to pinch myself to think that, I'm, you know, I'm here I am in the president's house and then to see all those people on the street, you know, it actually gave the women something indefinable. It was like they stood up taller, mm-hmm. like you know. It, it was a journey for them for the two days, but after that, they were definitely on a different Plain. they were saying I'm never going to be ashamed again look at that look at all those people who support me and it, thereafter you know the next day we had what we call the listening exercise the most important thing that you know we would ever have done for those women it was like watching history in the making they not many of them knew each other very well they were sitting in tables of ten, and each one of them telling their stories and the other women holding her hand and when she found it difficult and broke down, giving her hugs. And it was just the most amazing thing to witness. And over the course of that, I think there was phenomenal strength in the room. There was such a different atmosphere. And so when I stood up at the end, I said, look, unbelievably, a whole pile of people from the media have arrived, the Washington Post, Australia, BBC, and, and they want to interview you and don't feel you have to do it for me because often the women will do it if they think it's going to please you that so it doesn't make any difference to me this is all about you guys if you want to tell your story tell it I don't want you to walk away from here and think I wish I told it but equally I don't want you to walk away from here and wish you hadn't told it but I hadn't even finished my sentences and all these women were standing up ripping the purple stickers off themselves. The purple stickers were to denote they didn't want to speak to the press. Mm. And the whole of the mansion has like a carpet of purple stickers. <laughs> and, and it was just magical then to... They all came outside and I didn't know how to manage it. It was like speed dating. I said to the press, look, you're in charge, you're going to have to approach the women with dignity and respect, which, Patricia, they all did. Um, And all over the place, there were women telling their stories for a couple of hours. And that never happened before. If you Google Magdalene, you'll find a lot in 2013 when Kenny apologised and the Quirk Report happened. And then nothing till 2018. And then this whole army of women Contributed to everybody in society understanding. Like my son was out at it, Patricia and a lot of young volunteers, they'd never heard of the Magdalen Women, so you know they didn't even understand what. Yeah, they well, were, it's so. you
4: know it, it was. I, I had a, a, I have a young niece staying with me at, at the moment, and and I was watched it with her, and I was saying to her, "This is living history. You know what these women went went through. You're not going to find it in history books. You will in the future." Uh, and it's yeah. so important that we hear their narrative and 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 we let them speak. And I thought for another part, part that really got to me was when the women started getting your your initial letters and emails that were being sent to them, and and for some they thought that they were tr- it was it was a trick to get them yeah. back into the laundry. To think that it still weighs on their mind that much that they could be tricked into and you want to be locked up again. I just thought God help them, God it, help them.
1: It's a trigger, you know, I, I, you saw it absolutely in real life when Deirdre was going back. Deirdre's an articulate, intelligent, courageous, determined, amazing woman, um, only in her 50s. And when she made that journey back up the road towards the laundry, she completely reverted back to the young woman, the young teenager, the young child she was. She was literally standing there saying, I'm afraid somebody's going to come out and get me. And, you know, the the trauma buried so deep inside them. Like, And then this letter out of the blue comes and, you know, of course I put in, we want you to come to the Irish Newcastle, I want you to do this. And for some women, they just broke down in floods of tears. And, you know, we were hours and hours talking with them, recounting what had happened to them. Um, for others, yes, they thought it was a trick. What are they up to? Oh, you know, they told so mistrustful of people. And then I know in the early day or two, this son called me from uh, the UK and he said, you've just given us the greatest gift. My mum has early onset dementia, never, ever spoke to us about what happened to her ever. And when your letter arrived, she sat at the table and she was able to tell us what happened to her. And none of us knew that. Like, you know, this is the first time we really understood. There was a woman that turned up at the event. She met her son for the first time, Patricia. But the first time Mm -hmm. at that event, it was very soon after I was at Dublin Airport on the Monday to meet about 60 or 70 survivors who came in with their daughters and sons. And probably one of the first women and her daughter who came, um, she had agreed to do an interview and she did an interview with um, what what, what was TV3 at the time. And her daughter and myself and her walked down towards the room and her daughter said, you know, until the last week, I had no idea what happened to my mum. I had a vague idea something had happened to her. I had no idea. And so while this woman was recounting her story to the camera, her daughter was standing clutching my hand and virtually listening for the first time to some of the horrors that her mom had gone through.
4: That's tough. That is, yeah. that is tough for, for any daughter but that goes back to that shame that we spoke about those, those yeah. boys. Lots and lots of texts coming in. Let me just give you some of them. Geraldine from Newcastle West said I watched the programme last night. I actually watched it twice. The injustice these women went through again always moves me to tears. The state has given a great apology and with people like Nora Casey, uh, her support shows how what was done to these women was so wrong. I just haven't heard any apology from the perpetrators i.e. the many orders of nuns. Have they come out? Does Nora know if they come out and apologised?
1: I haven't seen that happen. No. Um, You know, I I did hear the Pope apologise. In fact, the strange thing about the Pope's visit, um, and I was involved, you know, in elements of that, um, is that he didn't know about the Magdalene Mm. women. Mm. Um, He had to be told and reminded and then he included the apology for them. Um, But I was actually with one of the survivors. I took her as my plus one to see him on his um, first um, speech, which was in Dublin Castle. Um, Very hard to get her, full of politicians and ministers and former ministers and Taoiseach and everything. And there I was sitting with Mary. Mary is her name. You see her a lot in the documentary. And and he didn't apologise then. She was so upset. You know, she cried her eyes out. We came out together and... She was upset and she was angry. And she's one of the women who said to me, before I die, I want to see the Pope. So it meant so much to her, you know, and yes, there wasn't that apology forthcoming. Now, over the course of this day, you did apologise. But to, to sort of answer the question in Ireland, I guess, that's not something I've heard. You heard, you know, the Minister for Justice apologise, the President apologise. The Taoiseach's Kenny yeah. apologise, you know, and so... Yeah, there definitely needs to be something that happens. And it will all just
4: help with that healing process yeah. that, that you're talking about. And another text in said, Patricia, I watched the programme last night. It was heartbreaking to watch those ladies. When I was 16, says this sister, I was in Bedsborough. That's the mother and baby home uh, in mm-hmm. Cork. Uh, it wasn't as bad then. But what will stay with me forever is the older women in their 80s and 90s who were mm-hmm. stuck there for all of those years Broken yeah. women who never got out of that hell—that it must have been. Nora Casey is amazing. Thanking you, and that's from a West Coast listener.
1: Patricia, I'd say that the, as much as we were so grateful and glad we had those women with us, there were so many women not there. You know, who had died and who were incapacitated and couldn't come. Um, and there's a great initiative that Clare McGatrick, you saw her on the programme yeah. last night. Yeah,
5: we spoken flowers with her on the programme.
1: Yeah, yeah, Flowers for Magdalene. She, she organised flowers in the Magdalene graves every year. But also to name them. So she, she has a, her and a group go around and they find their graves. And, you know, what, what the dignity of finding your name on a tombstone. And isn't that one of the most important things that happened in your life? That you actually get buried in a place where people know who you
4: are. Goodness me. Has it has it changed you, Nora, as as a person? It's, it's 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 certainly touched you. You can hear it when when you speak. Yeah, I think
1: I, you know, I don't think I've ever done anything as important to me. Um, I, I was so grateful to uh, not during the time now. <laughs> I hardly <laughs> saw my mom or any of my family for three months, but I. I of course completely underestimated what I was taking on but when I did I knew how important it was and I wanted it to be perfect. I wanted every element but to feel like they were truly being honoured at the highest level and that you know there would be no, no shortcomings that it would all be wonderful for them and and it was and I actually couldn't speak for days and days afterwards and I I was so I think somebody from our who was involved in helping me get the program over the line called me last night and said, thank you for being so tenacious, you know, so I, I was like constantly saying, I need to do this, I need to. It just felt to me like just telling the story. Um, before it got forgotten you know
4: um, well, you're, you're to be, you're, You are to be congratulated, uh, uh, well done and I know each and every thank one you. of the women uh, would say that and, and a huge thank you which I'm sure they've already said to you but you're, you're a mighty woman, we need more Nora cases in this country, pleasure as always to talk to you Nora, thank you for that thank Thanks for, for joining that. us, uh, bye bye and Morris on email to Patricia at C103.ie saying watching the Magdalene women last night was like hearing about a Nazi concentration camp, the country is an absolute disgrace and even after all the apologies have been made these women who managed to survive the horrors of the Catholic Church will still at the end of the day have had their childhood robbed 1850 333 John Paul taking your calls text WhatsApp 0862 103 103 C103 Anthems Don't
6: have to be to C103 Anthems
0: feel like a woman the
4: biggest songs of all time c103 anthems love is in the air everywhere i look around songs that continue to inspire
1: generations Susanna,
4: Susanna, Susanna, I'm crazy loving you. c103 anthems
7: weekday mornings from nine and evenings at seven
4: you've got to C103. The last of the leaving cert exams underway. Attention for many now turns to the cost of attending third level education. The Technological Inst- University of Dublin had just published their annual cost of living guide for students. And while it might make for frightening reading for some, there are ways to cut down on the costs. Dr. Brian Gormley of TU Dublin's Campus Life Service joins me. Good morning to you, Brian. Morning. How are you doing? Uh, I'm I'm very well now. Any student from here in Cork who accepts a place in Dublin to go to college will have to move away from from home. So talk to me about the availability and the cost of accommodation in Dublin.
6: Yeah, it's. I, I mean, I, I think most people have heard about a, an accommodation shortage uh, in Dublin, but in in reality, I suppose when you you dig below that that a bit, there is quite quite a bit of accommodation. So, first of all, there's a lot of the private uh, purpose-built student accommodation that's been built in, in recent years. So, uh, I think 6,000 bed spaces have opened over the last two years. And then there's another 2,000 opening this year, but that's very expensive. So, mm. you could be talking up to 270 a week.
4: And then the, uh, the other option is to go, people oh, go, yeah. go into a host family.
6: Yeah, we're encouraging people to look at, at the option of of staying with a host family or or homestay, uh, and it's significantly cheaper and uh, it's it's very flexible. And you tend uh, to pay only for the weeks that you stay there. So in in the private accommodation, you'll pay for forty weeks, whether you're you're there or not. Uh, and generally, with the host family, you could be paying for twenty five to twenty seven weeks. That's good. Uh, and on average, it's around one hundred and forty euro per week. That's uh, from our accommodation database, and it's um, yeah, and, and there's a lot of availability. So, in in October last year, after students had been here for about a month, uh, we still had three hundred spaces on oh. our accommodation database. So,
4: it's, so the, it's the old-fashioned living in digs, isn't it? What 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 the it, old, some people will remember as living in digs.
6: It is, and it it kind of went out of fashion. Now, when when I was in college. I'd say about one in three students were were living in in digs, and it didn't have a great reputation, Um, but now I think it's... uh it's a lot more flexible, and uh, I think people are, are used to the idea of, of, you know, live, you know, with Airbnb. Pe- people have become used to the idea of staying in someone else's house. That's a
4: good point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I so, think peace yeah. of mind for parents, Brian, particularly a first year student heading away for the first time. You know, the parents will would be uh, a little bit more comfortable in their beds knowing that they're in a house with a family.
6: Yeah, absolutely. That, that there's you know someone who can support them as they're settling into the into the city and show them how to use the kind of public transport routes and so on. And just uh, as well to, to know that, you know, if if they don't come home at night or, or something like that, that there's someone who, who will kind of text them and, and uh, check up and find out where they are and just check up where they are and make sure they're safe. Are there, so it are, is, it's very reassuring.
4: Are there meals included in that?
6: It, it depends on the, I mean, it's quite a flexible arrangement. So I think most people, uh, the, the arrangement most people have is, that you know, all bills are, are included and a light breakfast. Uh, and then with some, uh, in some c- kind of homestay, you can get an evening meal. Uh, but I think most students prefer the, the flexibility of just having access to the kitchen facility so they can prepare their own food, mm. uh, and it gives them more flexibility with their, their schedule. And you can do a five-day rental or a seven-day rental. So a lot of students would go home at the weekend, so the five-day rental uh, would suit them.
4: And it's a win-win all round for the, peop- the people who own the houses, the host families as well. I mean, I'm assuming under the, the, the they don't pay tax because it will be done under the, the renting a room scheme. The rent a room scheme, yeah. Yeah, so, so they'll be okay on so, that.
6: Yeah, so families can earn up to, to £14,000 if yeah, they rent a room out, yeah. yeah.
4: Should students start looking for accommodation early, Brian? Yeah, as,
6: as, as soon as possible, Uh As I said, there's a lot of new accommodation coming on stream. Uh, I think those new accommodation providers are anxious to to fill their rooms, so I think there is scope for negotiation there. Um, But one thing to be very careful about is to check the small print if you're you're putting a deposit on private student accommodation. uh, With some of them, with most of them, if you don't get your first preference CAO offer, so if you're not uh, going to attend that... uh, if you're not going to attend that university, um, that you will get your funding back, uh, you will get your deposit back. Um, so that that's something to check out to make sure you'll get your deposit back if you don't actually attend that that uh, student accommodation.
4: Yeah, yeah. And yeah. most I, and I know with the the, the study that uh, you you carried out. I mean, it's it's twelve thousand a year. That's at the upper end of the scale. Now, most of that cost will fall to parents. Can they claim tax relief on any of it?
6: They, they can if you if you if you're paying for more than one child to attend college, you can claim tax on the second or subsequent payments of the student charge. So the student charge is three thousand, uh, so you can get tax back on that uh, on that three thousand at a rate of twenty percent. And also if uh, if you're paying for a part time student or postgraduate student, so if, if you're paying tuition fees, uh, you can also claim the tax back on that. And uh, so that's it's. I have to say, it's not widely known.
5: Mm. Uh,
6: and our indications that are that people aren't claiming tax back on their uh, student charge.
4: Okay, it's certainly worth looking into. And uh, yeah, for sorry. students from low-income families, the student grants are still there under under Susie.
6: Yes, and uh, you know, and that'll cover the student charge. And and one of the other areas to look at is the um, uh, scholarships. So I know in in TU Dublin, we would uh, give over half a million out in scholarships each year. Sometimes it's program based on, you know, for architecture or fine art or optometry or uh, whatever the the program is. But there's lots of availability of scholarships. And sometimes, you know, they're looking for people to apply for these scholarships and uh, they, you know, Students, students
4: aren't aware of them. Okay, so, so check, it's well
6: worth looking into that.
4: Check the yeah. check with the individual colleges to to see what uh, what is available. And obviously, for those uh, attending college closer to home, commuting is the most cost effective way, isn't it? To do it, live it at is, home.
6: Yeah, to live at home, and that that can save you up to uh, five and a half thousand a year. And uh, it's there's certainly been an increase in students who are commuting long distances so the numbers of students commuting has gone up significantly uh, and students are commuting like we have students in Dublin who are commuting from Tipperary and Monaghan Cavan Wexford you know so long distances which can have an impact on their, their student experience um, so we, we you have to kind of balance it mm. and, and work out that the costs involved and, and the costs on your time as well
4: Absolutely okay we'll leave it there Brian and thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme Thanks very much. Good Thank morning you. to you. Bye bye. That is uh, Dr. Brian Gormley of TU Dublin and he's with their Campus Life uh, Service. A lot of money if your son and daughter are going to uh, college. I mean as I say the 12,000 figure that is at the upper end of it and that would be for somebody renting in Dublin. But I'd look, I'd, I'd look at the other options. I mean I do think that option of going into the old fashioned digs going into digs is. Go- I think the terminology is gone. What they're talking about now is uh, host family But there certainly is a lot of money to be saved by going down and looking at that route. And of course, as we mentioned, the best way of all is if they go to college locally and they can stay at home with you. Okay, we're going to take a break. We have news at 11 on the way. I can see questions already coming in about electric cars. We're going to be dealing with electric cars in the next hour, trying to dispel some of the myths around electric cars, but also trying to get some of the answers to the questions that came up last week when we were talking about it in regard to the government's climate action plan. The government telling us that they hope by 2030 that all of us will be on the road driving electric cars. Will it happen? Only time will tell. Let's take a break though and head to the newsroom at 11. We're sending you to see the biggest stars live at the Marquee. Listen this free ticket Thursday
6: to win your way in.
4: Only on C103.
6: You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
4: Danjo in Kanturk was onto the programme wondering, what, did, what do I make of the Women's World Cup that's currently on at the moment? Danjo says, I think it is a great game of soccer. There's no fouling, no jumping around and acting out and falling down on the ground. It's a very free-flowing game compared to the men's game. Danjo in Kenturk thinks that the women's soccer is a joy to watch. <laughs> he says, it's free flowing like the Tipperary Hurlers. So I'll accept that one for, from you, uh, Danjo. Are others, I, th- I saw a glimpse of one of the matches, but that was about it. So I can't really comment. I don't know a lot about it, uh, but we'll put it out to see. Are others watching the Women's World Cup? And would you be agreeing with Danjo that the men? playing the same wonderful sport you could learn a lot from the ladies and how they play a free flowing uh, game uh, some of your commentary coming in on Nora Casey who we spoke with in the last hour about the Magdalen laundries Anna says I feel when Michael D Higgins steps down as president of this country I feel Nora Casey would make a fantastic president of Ireland she's done so much work behind the scenes she's great quality she's very humble she would be ideal Nora Casey for president that's coming in from Anna and I'm assuming Anna that you watched the programme yesterday and that you enjoyed it uh, as well and so many people saying well done to Nora Casey and well done to those women such a difficult difficult thing for them to do Mags says the schools drummed anti-British into us but since we got our independence look how the priests and the nuns have treated us and that's very much reflected in that programme about the Magdalen laundries And then people are commenting on the cost of going on to third level education the piece we did in the last hour with this survey just out showing that the cost of going to college for this year is going to rise on average to €12,171 for the upcoming academic year that's for students living away from home there is some save savings for staying at home obviously but it's still costly I can tell you for students who continue to live at home uh, while attending college and commute the annual cost is put at half that 6,771. Nora in Bantry said it's very, very tough for families trying to put their sons and daughters through third level education. My eldest was very bright, says uh, Nora, but struggled with the first two years of college because we couldn't afford to even rent a room for her, or for him, sorry to say. He. he had a part time job. Uh, we're talking back. the so-called boom times when rent was huge in the city well Nora I'll stop you and say we're back at those prices for rent as well today anyway Nora says I feel he lost out a lot on his first two years at college because he had to bus it up and down from Bantry to the city every day. It was very tough on him. Luckily he found a place that that we could afford on the third year and it did make life a lot easier. So the cost of accommodation is a big issue for families and students as if the student cannot afford accommodation, many end up not being able to go to college or they can't do the course they'd really want to do. Well that was the point I was making when I was speaking with Dr. Brian Gormley from Dublin's TU the university in Dublin it can be tough on anyone from the south who's not in commuting distance to Dublin if it's a course that you can only do at a university in Dublin and you don't have the money then you, you know you're right Nora M. Bantry that college courses out of reach no matter if you're a straight A student uh, or not Nora says I know my nephew went to college in Dublin to do a certain course but ended up having to do another course in Cork or he got accepted onto a college course he couldn't do the one in Dublin because he couldn't afford the accommodation it's very unfair for those of us who live outside of the major cities and Jerry in Mill Street says doesn't it show that if you are from an urban area you're going to do much better at college because you can access the courses but somebody in rural Ireland would travel and rent um, Some for them, they simply cannot access college, no matter how brainy they are. It is a real shame. But yeah, but I suppose they can't have universities dotted in every part of the country. That simply wouldn't work uh, either. It is one of. If you want to find a downside to living in a rural area and away from the large urban areas it possibly is one of the downsides for the family having to come up with the money to fund a young person through uh, college. And actually just on young people somebody else has drawn my attention I saw this in the paper uh, today with everybody talking about the cost of college. What about the cost of young students heading off on their post-exam trip abroad and actually Alcohol Action Ireland have come out with a warning to students who are celebrating the end of the leaving search by jetting off on a holiday abroad. They're advised to avoid what they're calling the wild first night all-nighter. When they arrive in the foreign climes, this is the time of the year. This weekend in particular now, you'll see a lot of special packages on offer. People going off to the likes of the Balearic Islands. Ibiza is one of the more popular destinations. The young people are going to Greece. They're going to uh, Cyprus. And Alcohol Action Ireland are actually calling on the tour companies to support young holidaymakers on their arrival as many and all, not even many, all of them will be experiencing their first solo trip abroad. Some will have gone on holidays if they've been lucky enough that families could afford continental holidays while they were still in school. So, they, you know, they'll have known, for some, they know what it's like to be on, on the sunshine holiday. But it's the first time they're doing it without Mammy and Daddy. And it seems there's research there and there's evidence there that they all seem to go mad on the first night they arrive. And too much you know, excess alcohol is consumed and it unfortunately can lead to all kinds of accidents and and sadly uh, young people end up in all kinds of tricky situations and sadly we're hearing of young people who don't come home from that first holiday. So if you have a young person who's heading off on on one of those holidays you need to have that conversation to make sure that they're looking after themselves. Uh, Sandy's on about the piece that we did when we mentioned the strike that's underway at the moment at 10,000 of our health workers are out on the picket line today. Chefs, laboratory aides, porters and healthcare assistants all on what they're threatening is their first one day strike action. They're looking at three days next week and it's all overpay. Sandy said, I heard a comment about somebody saying what about workers in the private sector who are working for 10 euro an hour? Well, Sandy says, I'm in the private sector but many staff gave up working those minimum paid jobs. Experience is valued at €15 an hour approximately. The public sector got pay cuts but the TDs led the way in pay increases. So if you want to blame anyone for the situation we find ourselves in at the moment with the public workers, then blame the TDs because they led the way. And and certainly on this particular stance, SIP2, who are the, the union who are um, representing these health workers are blaming the government because they say they've been talking to the government, the government had promised to pay this extra money to these workers but there is a delay in when they're actually handing the money over and that's what's causing them all to go out on strike today. Heidi says, uh, Patricia, think if you think if you have two young people going to college and this was one of the examples that Dr Brian Godfrey was using that's double the price and accommodation prices are absolutely outrageous for some it is simply out of reach that's why apprenticeships are the way to go and you earn as you learn it is a win-win says Heidi and we actually did a piece only last week was it on apprenticeships and trying to encourage people to look to uh, apprenticeships and I know we're also working on another piece with the possibility of people becoming pilots and females becoming pilots they're trying to push Aer Lingus are certainly trying to push more people into becoming pilots and I'm assuming that's done on an apprenticeship as well you don't go to college to learn to be a pilot do you is it done through uh, apprenticeship? so that might be another way uh, for people uh, for for jobs uh, because I, I take it there are people who would love absolutely adore to be a pilot how do you become a pilot we're hoping as I say to do a piece this week and we'll find out more about it and talking of upcoming pieces. I did promise this and I did mention it yesterday so let me give you the heads up on this. We have a lawyer by the name of Karen Walsh who's going to be joining us next Monday morning to discuss wills how to make wills what are the downfalls, what are the pitfalls, the do's and the don'ts around wills. So if you have a question, because this keeps coming up on the programme, people asking us if we do a feature on it. So it's going to be next Monday morning and I'm giving you advance warning of it. It'll be in the 11 to 12 o'clock hour. So if you have a question or a query about making a will or if you're worried about your will, you're worried about something in your will at the moment and you have a query about it, get your questions in before Monday because the earlier we get the questions in, the better the chance of me asking your question to our expert. But we'll have a general discussion around wills and the importance of having a will. And we'll do that, as I say, on the programme next Monday morning. 1850 And we got some calls in yesterday. It was around the close of the programme, so I didn't get to mention this from the De Manway area. And it's in relation to disabled parking bays. One listener told us that there were two disabled parking bays in the square in Dunmanway. Last week, the disabled parking bays were full. So, a person parked in another space, you know, a normal parking space, but they had their blue disability badge up on the window. The parking warden gave the person a ticket. As he says, the person was two hours over the parking limit. And due to what the parking warden said is new bylaws he had to issue a fine. The parking warden said he was instructed to do so from County Hall. Now that's a new one on me and obviously it's a new one on the person who was driving with the disability sticker because normally if you have the disabled sticker, you're obviously entitled to park in the disabled parking base but if there are no disabled parking bays or in this case there are people parked there, you're then entitled to park anywhere else, you can't illegally park. Now I'm talking about parking in a normal parking space. But with one of the the blue badges up, you're not... I was always, well, to me, was always the rules. You you don't stick to the same, the other rules that other people parking, you know, if it was a two hour limit or a one hour limit and you have to move your, move your car. That doesn't apply if you have a disabled parking badge, because obviously the person in the car needs additional time and therefore the rules are, are are different. So I, that's a new one on me. If there has been bylaws introduced, we never heard about them on the programme. So we are in contact, have made contact with Cork County Council, haven't heard anything back yet, just because I really want to get clarity on that because if that is a new bylaw, then we need to get that message out to people who have... The disability parking badges, the blue badges to let them know that they need to be very careful if they're parking in areas outside of the parking base and we know there isn't enough parking base and we know a lot of people who are entitled to their disabled parking badge we'll never get one of the bays and have to park elsewhere but you need to be careful because we certainly don't want to be getting hearing from a flood of people saying that they're picking up parking tickets so we're waiting for Cork County Council to get back to us on that 1850 John Paul taking your calls text WhatsApp 0862-103-103 A part-time accounts person is required this is for the Canturk area you need to have a knowledge of Sage Line at 50 a full-time maintenance technician is required for Reliance Precision, precision they're based in Bandon, while an experienced machine operator is required for a large tillage farm in the South Cork area. And Kale Kill Childcare. They're looking for a preschool teacher/slash room lead leader. It's 35 hours per week. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Like a rhinestone cowboy. Classical country roads. The biggest stars in Irish country music
6: perform with the 50-piece RTE concert orchestra.
5: Stop loving her
6: hear all the great classic country songs performed live in one stunning concert live at the marquee this saturday your tickets from 40 euro are on sale now. maybe subject to fees. Presented by Aiken Promotions in association with the Irish Independent. For more, stay with C103.
4: Now during our discussion on the government's climate action plan last week, many listeners raised questions about electric cars. Everything from the cost of the car to how long the battery lasts, how long does it take to charge the battery, how much does it cost, etc. So to fill us in and to answer some of those questions, I'm joined by Hugh Hall of E power Now, E-Power is a company based in Little Island and they supply electric vehicle charging solutions. Good morning to you, Hugh. Morning,
7: Patricia. You... Thanks for having us on Well, you're
4: very welcome to the programme. Under the Climate Action Plan, the government is aiming for 100% of cars on the road to be electric by 2030. That's in 11 years' time. Is that over-ambitious or can you see that happening? Yeah,
7: it's, it is. It's is ambitious there's no doubt about it it's it's the direction we all need to be heading towards anyway Uh, but yes it is ambitious but targets are there to to be achieved
4: Okay. now the initial barrier I think for most and one of the biggest things that came up during our chat last week is the cost of an electric car talk to me about how much electric car costs and can you see them coming down in price
7: okay there's the gross price of of the car And then there's the net price, because there's there's multiple um, grants that are available for the cars as well. So for a private individual, there's uh, there's up to €10,000 in in the form of two grants that are available uh, towards the price of the car. Um, Do I see the price of cars coming down? Yes, I do. As volumes pick up, there's no doubt about it. Uh, but in tandem with the price coming down, the price of fossil fuel cars are equally coming down uh, in terms of trade-in values. So, you know, there's, there's no time like the present actually to get involved in, in purchasing an electric car.
4: And there are other incentives as well, like there's lower motor tax, isn't there? And, and if you're on roads where there's tolls, you've got reduced charges.
7: The, the motor tax um, rate is 120 euros per year. Uh, obviously, based on zero emissions, uh, and fossil fuel cars, as you know, you know, are, are considerably higher. Uh, I mean, that's that's the the car tax. But then you have the service costs as well. So the, the service costs of running an electric car are minimal. Um, largely speaking, you've only got tyres, but like. You know, Like, you've you've no engine, so you've no oil changes, no filter changes, you know, you've you've, uh, very little happening there that can go wrong in terms of service costs.
4: Okay, so once you've purchased the car, then it's the the cost of recharging. Talk to me about how much it costs to run the car.
7: Okay, well, well, in terms of charging the car, it depends on where you charge it. Um... it's estimated and and this is uh, proving a point at the moment, that at least 80 to 85% of charging will take place at home. Uh, And it will be a bit like your mobile phone, you plug it in every night, you know, and you come out in the morning and your phone is charged, your car is charged. And that's obviously the most
4: convenient for people is to be able to charge at home, isn't it?
7: Yes, yeah, yeah, that's the most convenient. And, and Uh, In terms of value going forward, it will also be be the best value. There are public chargers available. Now, these are still free of charge um, at the moment, but that is set to change. Um, The e-cars and ESB are currently upgrading their complete network. And a charging structure, well, was due to come in twice this year and is now postponed, I believe, until the beginning of next year. But the sooner the charging structure comes in, the better it is for all electric vehicle users.
4: But if you're charging at home and you're you're suggesting you do it overnight, are you suggesting overnight because you'd probably get a nighttime rate, would you, from your electricity supplier?
7: Overnight is, you know... Nine cents nine and a half cents somewhere around there so it's it's excellent
4: value now the big fear that I think we and we heard this from a lot of listeners last week the big fear is that the charge will run out before you reach your destination. Is that a realistic fear
7: no no i mean where where is your destination i mean where are people going every day if they actually thought about this um you know, the average day, they're only doing, what, 100, 200 kilometres max per day. Um, um. That's not an issue with an electric car. Uh, electric cars nowadays uh, can go up to 450 kilometres. On uh, a, and and, and a full battery? On a full battery, yeah, yeah. So c- cars have come a long, long way over the, you know, fairly in the recent past. Uh, batteries have got bigger and charge times, you know, it, it's it's become a lot more productive. Um, in terms of distance and range, uh, yeah, you, you do, you have the odd day that, that you need to go on a long journey. But you know that in advance and you plan that. So it, it's quite easy if if you're doing a trip to Dublin or something like that. But I can drive from Cork to Dublin, around Dublin, and back to Junction 14, all on the one charge, no problem. Um 40 minute cup of coffee or something like that in junction 14 and straight home.
4: Yeah, there are fa- fast chargers, doesn't there, along the motorway?
7: Yeah, and, and that's what the, the government are um, actively trying to, to move forward with. Uh, we need to keep the motorway arteries and, and the transport system. Uh, you know, on the go and, and take away any range anxiety, fears and, and myths to a certain degree, but remove that from the electric vehicle, um, industry per se. Uh, because it, it's, it's, it's the ability to get charge, uh, on your journey that is one of the most important things
5: okay now, so that'll be
7: eased when when each when the esp or e cars bring in when they monetize it uh, and when they you know physically start looking for for money for, from ev users uh, because that then the journey chargers will be used for the right reason the fast chargers will be used for the right reason and that's to complete journeys
4: Okay, some uh, questions coming in this morning. Somebody is saying, what will happen if there's a storm in the middle of the night and the lines go down? How do you charge your car then? You're going, you're going to get people coming up with all sorts sort of reasons as to why um, why your car I mean how many storms do we get I suppose is your answer to how that how many is storms it?
7: you get but likewise your phone isn't going to charge you know yeah,
4: yeah. <laughs> and we still survive now the one that yeah. we get a lot we got a lot of calls in about it last week and I can see questions again the cost of the replacement battery and how long does the battery last
7: okay well, batteries likewise have come a long way over recent years um Typically, batteries would have at least an eight-year warranty uh, and are expected, in some cases, to, to outlive the the vehicle itself. Um, the, the batteries are expensive, there's no doubt about it, but they, but they are getting better with technology as well. Uh, one way to look at it, is, I mean, how have batteries performed is maybe if you go back... Uh, several years when the early cars came out, the early electric cars, uh, you'll find that um, some of those batteries are still on the go seven, eight years later. Now, they, they may not be producing what they produced back then, but they're still on the go. So it is a testament that the batteries, you know, do last
4: and then when they are spent, John wants to know, could you ask your caller, and our expert is uh, Hugh Hall from ePower, what happens to the old spent batteries? How are they disposed of?
7: OK, well, one, one way that they are being used, and this is a whole new industry, so, so it's unfolding in front of us. But one way they're being used is they're uh, being reconfigured to use as a, a battery in the house, believe it or not. Okay. Uh, so old car batteries still have a value to be able to power the house. So if you had uh, PV panels on the roof, you know, you, you could charge up your battery by day, uh, house battery, and run the house then by night. So the batteries do have a, an end-of-life use.
4: Uh, and I'm assuming there's a recycling aspect as well of when they're completely spent. Is there like what would we do with our ordinary batteries?
7: There would be. I'm sure there is now. I haven't got the details on that, but I'm sure there okay. would
4: be. Okay. Someone else says, um "I where is it gone?" Sorry. Um, did you did did you hear or read about a battery part car that went on fire in Germany, burning for five hours as the emergency services stood back because of the battery fume hazard? Are you aware okay, of I'm that? Not aware of
7: that. No. Not aware of that.
4: Okay, and. um Okay, uh, alright, I'm just seeing because a, a lot of the um, questions are, um, ad, are are doubling up. Um, how long are you driving a electric car and, and tell us your experience of it.
7: Yeah, no, I have an electric car now for seven or eight months uh, and I find them absolutely fantastic and and once you've driven an electric car the, 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 there's, there's no going back, quite frankly. You won't want to go back. Um, you know, it's a completely different smooth machine uh, and if you were to get out of an electric vehicle and to get into a fossil fuel car afterwards it's a bit you know like driving a tractor afterwards it's completely different between the two
4: so you're 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 electric all the way all right and um somebody else is saying it's unrealistic to to think that there'll be 100% of cars electric by uh, 2030. The only thing is, when, when I saw that and read that in the report, I remember when the first of the mobile phones came in. And, and I remember doing an interview with somebody who, who had said at the time, oh, in 10 years, everyone, including children, will have mobile phones. And we laughed and scoffed and said, don't be stupid, you go away, that'll never happen. And it, it did happen. <laughs> well, <laughs> it well
7: you're, you're right. And, and that's, that's our history as it happens. We were involved in mobile phones years ago. And it was the exact same scenario, Um, but just like electric cars are definitely going to be the future, there's no doubt about it. The the numbers, though, in in the Climate Action Plan are ambitious, there's no doubt about it. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, it's the direction we need to be going in. And we we all must aim for it because it's, it's the right thing to do. Um, and you know companies and we all have, have aspirations of doing the right thing by the, the, the environment but if we're not prepared to make the, those steps ourselves including companies that, that are fine corporate and social responsibility policies you know if we're still permitting um, fossil fuel cars to come in the gate every day of the week without um, supporting electric vehicles it makes no sense so we all need to kind of Get our act together.
4: Okay, and I can see from John Pauls uh, there are some people not happy with your answer about if there's a power outage overnight and you're trying to charge your car, and you get up in the morning and there's been a power outage. Tom and from why says we don't drive the phone to work. We need another explanation. Is there any backup well, if there was yeah, a power you know, outage? I, I
7: can answer more on that. Uh, your car is never empty. um You know, you're you're only talking it up every night. Um, so it's, it's like a battery, if it has, you know, 400 kilometers, 450 or 300, you might only be doing 50 or 100 kilometers per day. So you still have 200 in the battery when you're going to bed.
4: And that's how you get you're to work. you're doing get to work.
7: it up every night. Uh, so you, you will have ample in the morning. There's no problem there. Uh,
4: Eddie and Mallow is raising an interesting point, particularly on the issue that you know it's most convenient and for for the majority of people they'll want to charge their car at home. Eddie says, "What if you're living somewhere that you can't access the car from your home? Eddie, for example, lives in an apartment. Um, and obviously his car is away from from where where he lives. How do you how do how do people get around that for charging?
7: Okay, well, well, in some apartment blocks now, um, each Circumstances slightly different. Uh, but you can install a charger and have putting a billing system on top of it as well. So this full, you can track and trace the usage and charge back to the, the user themselves. Or alternatively, there are the public chargers available as well. Mm. So there's two options
4: there. Yeah, and, and you know, if we do go down with the action plan, if the government is is, is really pushing the, the action plan and if we do get all of the changes that they're talking about, there's going to be a lot more charges. But I know I read in, in one part of it that the local authorities are all going to have to come up with um, more public charging points uh, as well. OK, uh, Hugh, I, I know it's an issue that we will return to again, but in the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Good stuff. Thanks Good morning, Jim. Bye-bye, you. bye-bye, bye-bye. That is Hugh Hall of uh, ePower. They are a company based in Little Island who supply electric vehicle charging solutions. Now, we're continuing this morning with our feature with Awalia, which is the free mortgage arrears support service. And to offer advice to people who find themselves in trouble with the banks, I'm joined this morning by John O'Callaghan, who is a personal insolvency practitioner known as a PIP with KPMG. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Patricia. Good morning, and, and uh, great to talk to you. Now, when somebody finds themselves in trouble with the banks for whatever reason, is w- would your first piece of advice be engage? Don't run away from the problem.
2: Absolutely. Um, I don't think there's any great solution ever found from running away or lacking, you know, avoiding the engagement. The um, the engagement can bring an awful lot to the debtor's, you know, attention understanding what the bank are looking for, the creditor is looking for, understanding what, what requirements are there. And when they meet with a PIP, we have to find that out anyway. We have to find out what they've been looking for, what they've been asking for, and we can help the debtor put all that together. Time is very important to people who are under pressure, and, and they really need to you know, engage as soon as possible.
4: And how are the banks dealing with it? I mean, the banks had a very bad reputation at one stage for almost harassing people with phone calls and letters. Is that still going on?
2: There's still a lot of calls going out because the creditor that shouts the loudest is going to get the most, particularly in a situation where the debtor's only got a very small amount of money. So if they get a phone call on a regular basis, the likelihood of collection is high. What we would suggest to people is that when they start feeling harassed by it or when they start feeling under pressure from the frequency of phone calls, that's most definitely the time to go and talk to Mab's or go and talk to a PIP. Because what we do, and Mab's do, is we step between the phone calls and the debtor.
5: Mm -hmm.
2: And we write to the banks and we write to the mortgage companies and we write to the vulture funds, even the vulture funds, and we say we are now the third party on this case. So all communication through us, please.
4: So they, they've got to leave the person alone. They,
2: they're supposed to. It doesn't happen in every single instance. But the banks in general are quite good like that. The banks generally stop making the phone calls when that occurs because they say, OK, they're in good hands. We'll deal with the person that they've nominated. And so long as there's good engagement, then solutions can be found.
4: And when the bank come up with a solution, does the person have to accept it?
2: No. And the bank's don't often come up with a solution. Okay, the, it, It's really, the banks are saying, you owe us X, how are you going to repay it? And it really, and that's where the breakdown of communication seems to occur. It really falls upon the person in trouble to propose a solution. And that's why assistance is needed. Mm. And that's why there's an no value scheme out there, and that's why there's MAPS, and that's why there's PIPS. Our job is to put the proposal to the bank. So as soon as somebody is starting to getting getting these calls and is starting to feel stressed, we would strongly recommend that they would come to us. And there was, and I've heard it said on the streets, that, you know, but these things don't work, or there's a low percentage win rate. Well, I'd like to belie that immediately and and say that in in our office, we're at 89, 90% win rate, meaning that 89 to 90% of people we meet we get sorted in the first attempt we make to sort them. The other 10% might take two or three more. You know, cut
4: That's, that's an incredible uh, track record. And of the people, John, that you deal with, what, is, what? can you give us some of the reasons why they end up in financial prob- uh, troubles and problems? I mean, nobody g- borrows money or takes on a mortgage with the belief that I'm going to be fighting the bank one day because I can't pay them back.
2: Yeah, everybody borrows with optimism yeah and, and and they're very confident and should the banks lend with optimism also they wouldn't have lent the money with the expectation of fighting for a property. I mean it's far cheaper for a bank to go out and buy the property to, to do it through a loan of repossession yeah. so there's nobody intending to be in this position. One of the things we've seen that, that there's a multitude of reasons fam- fam- familial break breakup divorce separation problems of that nature of course that puts pressure on the ability to repay a mortgage losing a job a whole sector of um, the, the country got hugely affected with the con- collapse of the construction industry yeah. and then that that knocked on then to supporting services and the, then to recruitment services and bankers they lost their jobs We don't have Irish Nationwide, we don't have um, Anglo, we don't have... All those people lost their jobs. And they too had mortgages. Illness, serious illness, no illness of the parents and illness of a child. Imagine how much that would affect the ability to repay a mortgage. Mm -hmm. There's a multitude of reasons. Other reasons, um, very good professionals. Example, not to pick on any profession, but example, a good dentist won't be talking to me because he said bad dentistry practice. He'll be talking to me because he invested in a lot of properties and didn't understand the property market and then the property market crashed. Dentistry practice is still great. We'll fix the issue in regard to the crash properties. So that's an example. I'm not saying I've got a lot of dentists. I know, I'm just putting I know. One out of my head, I couldn't think of a And um, the um, situation that I would describe that as is involved in non-core activities, Good entrepreneurs involved in non-core activities, meaning investment in properties, investment in speculative commercial deals, investment in deals that they are not very familiar with, for a pension because they thought it was an opportunity to provide for their kids or otherwise, find that they got stung by that. And very, very clever people got involved in things like that. And what we do is allow that get resolved so that their good entrepreneurial spirit can be harnessed again for the benefit of the economy and to benefit the people they employ and themselves and their family, so we can resolve the issues of those investments. And there is a number of different examples there for you.
4: Yeah, and what about negative equity? Are there still people you know who are trying to get out of the house but can't because it's they're living in negative equity?
2: Yeah, there is a, there's a lot of people worried about that. Um, we, we, we had an example of a case there some months ago, and the with a couple, and they had moved far from their usual base in the country and they were um, they bought a property they got into a business the business idea was that they would um, work cleaning properties for these new housing estates were all going to be built so when the construction industry crashed well of course you don't want people cleaning the housing estate so they lost their jobs they've got a house in an area where they're not familiar they don't have a familiar support and then one of them got extremely ill and they were terrified. They were negative equity. What happens? We can sell the house. We can move back to our original base. There's a family member who's got a, a, a granny flat. We'll move in there. We're all sorted, but they've got a problem. 100,000 property, 300,000 debt. And through this system, through a PIA, we can resolve the sale of the property and the negative equity debt. They paid a lump sum, Factual case, they paid a lump sum down and it wasn't even a large lump sum to settle the debt because with the illness, with the loss of job, sure all they could do was do the back to work scheme and all they could do was do back to education to get a new training. The other lady was very, very ill and they um, ended up resolving the entire debt for a practicable and an and affordable lump sum. And they were out of Debt in six months, which was a total of about nine months after meeting us. Wow! Yeah, totally out, and the bank happy, and the two debtors happy.
4: And it doesn't always mean that the person loses their home.
2: Oh, the whole intention is not to lose the home. That example I gave was because some people are frightened; they think they're stuck in a in a money pit. Yeah, but the whole intention of the act is to retain the home. We we proudly say. I proudly say. I've been at this since two thousand and thirteen. I proudly say that we've never lost a home. Never once. In the example I gave you, we were very happy to resolve an issue, but that wasn't the home. The home is now where they moved to.
5: Mm.
2: But we have never lost a home that was needed to be retained. And and banks don't really want to own homes. They want to find a solution that's fair, has been tested, is decent. You don't want, Nobody deserves, when they're in debt, to have a flick of the switch, I get off lightly. That's not the way this is intended. This this has a process. We investigate all the income, all the repayment capacity. We check every single corner we can to find every penny so that then the banks know, the mortgage company know, that there's no more to go for if they went any other route. That's a pip doing his job right.
4: Yeah, and it isn't, you know, it's almost like an urban myth when you hear, oh, there's people out there who can pay and they won't pay.
2: There, there may still be. I, I. I. I haven't dealt with them. Yeah. Everybody I meet is at their wit's end, and is willing to say, "Look, I've told the bank, but they don't seem to hear me." And, and unfortunately, that can be true. You know, there's also that always situation that if I tell them everything, they're going to take advantage. And the banks are also listening, but they are also fright, frightened that somebody will try to pull the wool over the bank's eyes. So there's always that imbalance. And that's, that's nature. They've been discussing that since you know Adam was a lad.
4: Yeah, yeah.
2: But a pip can step in and say, here's the full story from the bank or the mortgage company, and here's the full story from the debtor. And if the pip is doing their job right, it will be the full story. And if all the revelations are given, the banks are open to solutions. They're just not open to having the wool pulled over their eyes.
4: Okay, and we'll finish where we started with the message to anybody listening, identifying with what you're talking about, you know, lying awake at night. I mean, I imagine some of the people you meet, uh, John, literally at their wits end and have been for quite some time worried about it is share that burden with somebody else.
2: Absolutely. There's good professionals out there. Pips are trained to help. We work as a community. If I come across something and it's becoming rare as time goes on that I haven't seen before, I'll contact another PIP and get a second opinion. And they'll contact me too. We're working together as a community to help people in debt. And we are really finding solutions.
4: Okay, and the MABS uh, helpline is 0761072000. Uh, and that's Monday to Friday from 9am to 8pm. Uh, John, thank you for that and a uh, pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks again. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is John O'Callaghan who is a PIP. He's a personal insolvency practitioner with KPMG Ireland.
6: You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently
4: closed. Buddy and Bridget. They're from uh, Buddy's Cabs in West uh, Cork. Uh, They were on and they say Winnie O'Sullivan and all of our volunteers um, they want to congratulate them on the wonderful job they've done for the town of Bantry it showed yesterday in Dublin with the national awards that they picked up keep up the good work. The town is a credit to them, says uh, Buddy and Bridget. And actually we're not forgetting about the magnificent achievement on behalf of Bantry Tidy Towns on winning that national award yesterday. Because yesterday we were wishing them good luck because we heard that they were on the bus heading up to Farm Lee and it was yesterday afternoon we heard the news that they not only won their section but they also won the overall prize, the national prize as well. It's a terrific uh, achievement and we will be speaking with Winnie O'Sullivan from Bantry Tidy Towns in this hour on the uh, programme.
0: Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
4: To Buddy and Bridget and I'm sure lots of people in Bantry and indeed the wider area, very proud of the achievements of Bantry Tidy Towns. Can I also send heartiest congratulations to a young playwright from North Cork, Hi, Katie Holly. Uh, she's from Charleville. the The New York Festival Radio Awards were announced this week, and Katie Holly from Charleville got a silver award for her play Sharon. Um, we spoke about Katie Holly, Holly when John Kenny. John Kenny was the first comedian John Kenny was the first to draw my attention uh, to young Katie when he starred in her play Chroma and she also had another super play called uh, Crossword and um She's she definitely is one of these stars of the future and and already a star of the present. She's just writing some incredible, uh, incredible works. But this was this is a great this is a big big award uh, to get for her. And it was it was the drama it was the drama on one series RTE entered it, and it was she won the best digital drama program for her play Sharon. So congratulations to Katie. Holly. Now, some of your calls and texts coming in. We were talking with about people getting into mortgage arrears and people getting in up to their tonsils in debt. And it's this bi-monthly feature we do with the Walia under MABS. And it's just to get the message out to people that there's help available and there's free help available and because when people I think get into financial debt the stress and the strain that it can put on family life and you know I would have spoken to people over the years you know who spoke about not being able to sleep at night in dread of the postman and what the postman was going to bring every time the phone rang terrified that it's going to be the bank on looking for more money and people just not you know borrowing from Peter to pay Paul and, and it's, it's shocking it's shocking the amount of people that are still struggling particularly with mortgage debt and that's why we're doing this Every second Wednesday of, uh, we have somebody on an expert on just to try to get the message out to people that there's help available and we're encouraging people all of the time to contact Awali if you find yourself in that situation. Don't suffer on your own. Get the help that you need. And in the middle of my chat with the Pip we had a call in from Colm in says, if you have a dispute with the credit union, who do you complain to? Now, what he means by a dispute, he says, for example, if you're refused a loan or something like that, who do you go to? Well, that wasn't obviously a question for, uh, for a pip. Uh, but if you uh, have a problem with the credit union, you can go to the complaint section and you'll to your local credit union and, and lodge your complaint and if you're still not happy with that you can go to the financial services and the pensions ombudsman so there is there is some place for you to go. Now still getting in a lot of calls about the electric cars and it's just the amount of people who are coming up with, a, with reasons against electric cars. People are still not happy about the idea that If the government had its way, we would all in in not that far into the future, 11 years time, they're saying 2030 would be their ideal for all of us driving electric cars. And there are people who are just adamant that they will never, ever drive an electric car. They don't like the idea of electric cars. And people coming up with all hosts and kinds of reasons as to why they wouldn't like an electric uh, car. Uh, Eddie in Mallow says, does Hugh, that was our expert who was speaking to us, who who drives an electric car as well and makes his livelihood out of installing charges for electric cars. So you can see where uh, Hugh is coming from on this. Eddie says, does Hugh honestly believe that the government is going to give away the revenue that they make from petrol and from diesel and all the money they're making at the moment? That will all disappear if we all suddenly are driving electric cars. If people think that they'll walk away from that kind of revenue, then they're very naive indeed, says uh, Eddie in Mallow. My answer to that would be they'll come up with some other way of generating the revenue. But absolutely, I accept the point you're making. And there's a lot of people going on about that as well. I'm making that same point and saying, you know, that the car tax issue, because it's much less car tax issue, that's... um Um, a non-issue and that's going to have to be replaced even if we all were suddenly driving electric cars and paying very little in road tax because the government are going to have to come up with some way of collecting revenue for the road infrastructure. So you might be paying less on something but you can be damn sure that the government will come up with a way that you'll pay some other way instead. Donald says, Trish, I read online where in Germany diesel cars have way lower CO2 emissions than electric cars when you take into account power generation and the making of the batteries when all of that is taken into uh, account. Sure, at one stage weren't they telling us diesel was the way to go. they were encouraging everyone to switch to diesel and they've changed their minds on that. I don't know if they're going to change their minds on electric cars, but uh, we will, we're, we're certainly going to have to wait and see. Others are raising the issue. What about driving, winter driving with the heaters on? Is that going to drain uh, batteries? I saw somebody saying that when you put on the air conditioning, And the lights that you don't get as far as if you're doing all daytime uh, driving. Angela says, I just listened to your item on electric cars. This is going back to the piece that when when I asked Hugh about what would happen about power outages, people are worried about power outages. Um, Angela said, and then he came back because people weren't happy with his answer. And he came back and he said that when you're parking your car overnight and you're charging it overnight, you're only topping up the charge So it wouldn't be, it would be in a very rare occasion that the car would be a dead battery. You'd be plugging in and needing to fully charge it overnight. So he was saying even if there was a power cut for a few hours overnight, you'd still have some charge in the car because people were saying how can you get to work? Well, Angela was on to say, Patricia, I was without electricity for seven days after Storm Ophelia. I live about four kilometres from Roscarberry and some communities in West Cork were without electricity for ten days. So I would have grave reservations about buying a, an electric car. Kind regards, says uh, Angela. But then John in McCroom was mm, was also on on this issue and in, in, uh, oh yeah now John McCroom then says we have power banks for our phones when we've no electricity or if there's a power outage or you, you run out of battery for your phones someone he said wait and see someone will come up with a similar idea for an electric car might cost you but they will come up with one eventually. They will make allowances for power outages. But then I go back to how many power outages do we get? And absolutely, stormophilia happened and a lot of people were without power and we can never say that that's not going to happen again. But I suppose, generally speaking, we are not without power that often. But I think John and McCroom is right. They will come up with some other solution to get around that. And you are right, we do have the little power banks that we use our phones for. So they'll they'll, they'll come up with, you could be guaranteed they will come up with some other solution instead. And then Pat, Pat on Facebook. Now I'll give him this one. This is, this is a good theory on this one, on the electric cars. When I was talking to Hugh and I asked him about his own driving experience in an electric car and he says that he regularly goes to Dublin and he will drive from Cork to Dublin and he'll do his business in and around Dublin All on the one charge and then he'll leg it back down the motorway and he'll get to junction 14 and he can pull into junction 14 where they have the public electric chargers and he'll plug his car in and he'll go in and he'll have a cup of coffee and they have one of the fast chargers so he'll be in there for 40 minutes taking a bit of a break and when he comes back out his car is charged so he said hey presto and then he can get back to Cork so that's getting around people who were saying what if you have to do a longer distance you need to go to Dublin do a bit of work in Dublin and come back so Pat on Facebook picks Hugh up on that and says okay Hugh is suggesting stopping for his cup of coffee and his muffin uh, on Junction 14 while he waits 40 minutes for his car to charge what? says Pat if Cork ever gets to another All-Ireland final and hopefully they will Pat it'll be a rush to Junction 14. Otherwise you'd be there for three to four days depending on the crowd who would travel to Dublin to watch the All-Ireland. If you work out the average that it takes 40 minutes you can get 30 odd cars done in a 24 hour period. (laughs) At the moment, you're right, Pat. If we were all in electric cars, we'd all be stuck at Junction 14 and the rush for Junction 14. I imagine if I got onto the government and put that scenario to them and poked a big hole in their climate action plan on the electric cars, they would say, oh, well, by the time all the electric cars will be in place, there'll be lots more public charges because one of the points that was in the government action plan was. I think it was 200 that each local authority will have targets whereby they have to install 200 public charges. I don't know if that was a year or over a set period of time, so there will be a lot more. But yes, on Junction 14, If loads of people were travelling up for the All Ireland, you'd want to have a lot of chargers available. Thank you for that. 1850 333 103. Get your gardening questions in. I can see them uh, coming in to us. Keep them coming because Peter will be joining us in this hour on the programme. Michael says As the airwaves gather gather, uh, lots more talk about climate change, I still cannot hear any voice calling for carbon free fuel which in my opinion must be the way forward. This country could be pioneers in this field as lots of universities have the groundwork done. It would transform Ireland, says Michael. And Michael, there was talks at one stage of a biofuel or the possibility of a biofuel being produced at the old sugar plant in Mallow. It's, you know, big, big plant that's just lying idle. I imagine tumbleweed must be blowing down through it. At this stage, it's been completely decommissioned. And there was, at that stage, there was uh, evidence to support it and reports in showing that it would be an ideal location for the making of, I think it was bioethanol. And uh, yeah, you're right, Michael. I mean, I haven't gone through the entire government climate action plan, but certainly on anything I read or any of the headline stuff that I read from it, I didn't see anything about us generating our own bio a biofuel i, 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 I carbon free fuel i don't know why they 're not looking at it I'm, I'm, I need an expert to tell me is there a reason why they haven't looked at it but yeah uh, you are right we, it's we seem to be looking at everything else except carbon free fuel and everything seems to be pointing to You know, like the electric cars, but then that's not a carbon uh, free fuel because you've got to generate the electricity in order to get the charge. 1850 333 103. John Paul takes your calls. Text WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary.
2: With Cork County Council, supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie.
4: The Balancholic 5K Your Way Move Against Cancer Group are inviting those living with and beyond cancer and their families and friends to walk, jog or run on the last Saturday of every month. So that's coming up this Saturday, the 29th of June at the Balancholic Park Run. You can socialise afterwards over at Copper. Register with the Park Run on www5 kyourwayorg slash register. Eat Right Now is a mindfulness-based programme that helps to identify stresses and emotional eating patterns to reduce cravings and to build sustainable and healthy eating habits. It begins in Brook, Columbanus, in Wilton, tomorrow morning, Thursday, from 9.30 to 12.00 noon, and it continues every Thursday for three weeks. The course classes are free of charge. If you're interested, 087-1756905. The Commodore Male Voice Choir... They'll host and their annual concert at the Commodore Hotel in Cove this Friday night at 8. Tickets are 10 euro from the hotel or from any choir member. A share of the money will go towards the Cathedral Organ Upkeep. Different Strokes Art Exhibition will be held at the Kinkelly Design Stores in Shanagari. Opening on this Friday night, the exhibition runs for the month of July seven days a week. Entry is uh, free. And Drink Tea for MND. A tea and coffee morning will be held in the Glandor Inn next Saturday morning, 10am to 12 noon. All are welcome. Now, Bantry has won Ireland's Best Kept Small Town Award and also scooped the overall winner prize. This was at Ireland's Best Kept Town Awards, which were presented at Farmley House in Dublin yesterday. And I'm delighted to say Winnie O'Sullivan of Bantry Tidy Towns uh, joins me. Good afternoon to you, Winnie. Good afternoon, Lisa. and firstly, heartiest congratulations! It's it's a terrific uh, ach- achievement. Now, just how did you get to be in the final of this competition? How were you selected for that?
0: Well, it, it came as a complete surprise to us because we it's not a competition you each tiny town enter. Um, we're selected to to compete in it. So we just got a phone call back in I would say early March or something. Um, telling us that we were selected to compete in it and judging takes place in during May and then the awards are presented in June. So, uh, and so you, that was the first we knew about it.
4: So you got on the bus yesterday and we were wishing you well. I don't know if you heard us. We were wishing you well as no. you headed off to Dublin uh, to Farm Lee. What were your yeah. expectations heading to Farm Lee?
0: We didn't have any, to be honest. Well, I mean, it was it, For us, it was a huge honour to be selected. Um, because only you're well up there when, when you're selected for something like this. And we were thrilled to be selected. So that was being good enough for us. Um, we really didn't, genuinely did not expect to win either the category and certainly didn't expect <laughs> to win the overall um, prize. Certainly did not, no. So it, was, it just came as complete shock.
4: So what was the award ceremony like yesterday?
0: Oh, it was amazing. It really was. I mean, in Lee, I've never been to Lee. I haven't either. I've
4: only ever seen pictures. And it looks (laughs) stunning.
0: It looks, it is stunning. It is stunning. We got a guided tour of the building, which was an added bonus. It was just absolutely beautiful. Beautiful. The setting was amazing. And um, then the, the award ceremony took place there. And, um... To win our category was, as I say, came as a shock. We would have been more than happy to come home with that uh, prize, that award. But to win the overall, it hasn't sunk in at all.
4: And how many groups were up there? Or did you get any idea how many? There were um, was it, four, eight,
0: 14. 14.
4: 14.
0: There were different categories, village, small town, large town and large urban centre. And we were in the small town category.
4: And then they announced that and you won and, and and thrilled. And you took up and obviously did they present you with something for winning that? First yeah, day?
0: we have a, a framed certificate and, uh, and a prize fund of uh, two and a half thousand. Fabulous. For, uh, it's lovely, absolutely lovely. And um, then the, they give a certificate to the other uh, nominees as well in the different uh, categories. And then from the winner of each of the four categories, the overall winner is selected.
4: And you suddenly so. hear Bantry getting called yeah. out.
0: <laughs> I just couldn't believe it. I just thought it was a mistake. I, I, really did. I, I couldn't believe it. I just the look of amazement. We just looked at one another and thought, like, "Oh my god!"
4: Yeah. And in the it's other, questions. the other, you're you're in the Tidy Towns competition. Yes. Uh, how have you been doing in that? We've, do, we've been doing very well. We're gaining points
0: every every year, and right. we're we're last year we've um, we're up to three hundred and twenty five points at this stage, and we're silver medals for oh, the last four or five years. So we're doing well. We're doing, you know, we're up there. Yeah. Um, but we'd love to go further. But um, you know, we just keep trying. But the, it's very competitive. There's a huge number of of uh, entrants now, and it's very very competitive. But um, we just keep going. We've uh, we've an amazing bunch of volunteers. Uh, Here in Bantry, they really, really are amazing. You know, they they work so hard and um, consistently, you know, and we've been blessed with very good weather as well, so that hasn't disrupted us. And the whole community, I mean, the business community, the other voluntary groups, they're really, whether they support us financially or, um, you know, by doing their own bit and doing their painting and cleaning and all that, it, it has hugely improved over the last three, four years it really has so it, it makes a difference you know there's a kind of a cumulative effect uh, you know mm. over the years so it is looking very very well i must say the town is, it looks it looks well it could always improve there are places to improve no question about it but um overall it is looking very very well and i saw and i would also like to sorry Patricia, i would also like to thank uh, or to acknowledge the the great work that you know previous tidy towns committees have done before us, before we came along. I mean, they've done uh, Trojan work as well and didn't get the awards um, that we have got now. But, you know, there that's where the foundations were, were, were laid. So I would like to acknowledge those people. You know, a well lot of them are with us, thankfully, and you know, some people, and another, um, our CE workers, they're brilliant as well. They work uh, very, very hard. And one of our CE workers um, recently passed away, uh-huh. and he was just amazing. He was really, really malnut, and he was, uh, you know, he, was, he would love to have seen... What, 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 what
4: was his name?
0: Malmut. I can't pronounce his surname I'm
4: I'm sure he must have been smiling down on you yesterday I hope
0: he was because he was so so good he was really I mean he he was meticulous he really was and it was so sad he only passed away last week Ah. and I know and it was, he would have loved to see him that day and he he didn't. Oh
4: my but, goodness, you know my we, goodness.
0: Really, we, we, we we acknowledge it we well, acknowledge him hugely.
4: Yeah, that's, that's that's really that's really lovely. And I know I saw in a press release from the mayor of Cork County, uh, Councillor Christopher uh, O'Sullivan. He was paying a well, obviously complimenting everybody involved and, and congratulating mm-hmm. everybody involved. Of course. He was talking about Cork County Council uh, has planned an expenditure of over two hundred and eighty six Thousand euro for Main Street in Bantry for twenty nineteen.
0: Yes, the um, we're Bantry Town Towns are, is part of um, a bigger project. It's the the Bantry Project Group, and we have the um, you know the business association. We have the development and tourism. We have the Chamber of Commerce, the Cork County Council. We work together in in you know looking for funding for um, different projects in town, and um, we were successful in getting money for Main Street. So um, that's on as we speak. Um, and we have lovely new footpaths now just because, uh, you know, Bantry is a tourist town and it will be very busy for the next number of uh, months, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, it's it's suspended for the moment and they will be doing other areas of town. So that would be finished but it would be lovely when it's done yeah you know be it, it really will be yeah it will really look very very well
4: and you've of course been Bantry town you've the added bonus that you're you're a popular tourist destination yeah. um a lot of tourists around they expect tidy towns don't they tourists uh,
0: they they do, and it's it's something that we've noticed when we're when we're out working in the evenings or whatever. Um, Irish people, you know, they acknowledge what you're doing and they understand what you're doing. But people from other countries, you know, are amazed when they see people out working on a voluntary basis and what we're doing because they said it doesn't happen in their countries, yeah. and they would love to see it, see it happening. And you know, they they can see the difference that we do. So it's it's nice to hear something like that. Okay. You know that we're we're uh, they're very impressed with with the the standards I think in Ireland generally.
4: And as with all tidy towns groups, Winnie, you could always do with new members. Absolutely, <laughs>
0: absolutely. Oh, okay. God, God be just. Um, yeah, absolutely. But we we have had you know a, a good few new members join That's... off the last year or two, and um, hopefully we will get more because absolutely you're right. You know we have the core number. But you know, people come out maybe doing different projects or doing different things, which is brilliant. Uh, that's that's what we need. And um, but yes, absolutely. Okay. Applications are open.
4: Well, congraci- mm-hmm. congratulations! Will you celebrate? Will you have a little celebration? Oh,
1: well, you know, I think we will. you'll have to. Yeah,
4: absolutely. It hasn't
0: really sunk in, but it's. it's
4: just a great feeling. It it's, really is. Well, it's terrific. Congratulations to each and every thank one you of you, so Winnie, much. and thank you for taking time out to talk to us today. We really Not appreciate it. You're very welcome. To Thanks a million. Thank bye-bye, bye, bye, bye-bye. That bye. is uh, Winnie O'Sullivan on behalf of what are a wonderful, wonderful bunch of people at Bantry at Tidy Towns on winning that. Not only winning best-kept Small Town Award, but they won the overall of Ireland's Best Kept Town. That's terrific. It's a great, great uh, achievement. Congratulations to each and every one of them. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And it's weather like this when we all love to be out gardening. Peter Dowdell joins me. Good afternoon to you, Peter.
3: We have the Uh, best job in the world uh, two weeks a year. (laughs) Yeah,
4: but now we're back to do we need to be watering the garden?
3: Very much so, if this weather continues. Now, I know they're, they're they're saying this this glorious bit of heat that we're going to get is going to probably change again at the weekend, isn't it? Yeah, right?
4: Yeah, so and, and if, next year go back to more normal temperatures. So it's only like one sort of week of heat and humidity.
3: But like even one day of this heat uh, with no rain or no water would have a big effect on new plants, Trish. And what I mean by new plants is plants even that were planted, let's say, bare root or even potted last autumn, winter, so a lot of them won't be able to get their own water yet. So they will be relying on water uh, coming from rain or coming from the hose. So if you planted new hedges, new trees, or if you got your garden landscaped last autumn, winter, you would want to be paying attention to, to watering during this week and hopefully next week as well. But it's something that you would have to be conscious of, definitely.
4: OK, let's get straight into questions. Peter, why are there discoloured bubbles on the leaves of my current shrubs, black and red currant?
3: I think when she says bubble, she's probably kind of talking about blisters in the leaf. Okay. Which is, uh, it's a gall mite, most likely. It could be leaf, it could be several things. Without seeing a picture of it, I couldn't say for definite, but it, it is a garden pest it's a pest as opposed to a disease most likely uh, it could be the gall mite or it could be, it's unlikely to be aphid. probably the leaf miner or a gall mite but do either send a picture into to yourselves in the radio station or to myself on Facebook the Irish Gardener and I'll have a look at it uh, and give you a definite answer what I Okay think. and that's
4: actually coming in on WhatsApp so if, if you want to WhatsApp in the, in the picture and we'll get it on to uh, yeah. Peter. Uh, hi Peter I have a basil plant one of the supermarket ones <coughs> growing on my windowsill for the last few weeks I've noticed a sticky sap like substance on the leaves and on the windowsill for the last few days and what looks like a queen fly is it still safe to use and what should I do with it?
3: It's still safe to use because even if you, if, even if you eat the green fly, it's not going to be any harm. They're full of protein by all accounts. Uh, <laughs>
5: steady on. Any
3: harm. I was giving a slightly off the point there. I was giving a talk with GIY, you know, the Grow It Yourself yeah. movement. I was giving a talk, uh, or as part of a panel discussion, I suppose more correctly, on creating sustainable food cities with GIY in, in Dublin recently. Uh, and one of the speakers who was there with me was saying that 70% of the world's population rely on an insect based diet. How well, do you feel about that, Trish Yeah, <laughs> I
4: think
3: <didn't laughs> like the sound, of whatever. Uh, to say,
4: but anyway. uh, and I'm vegetarian, so I really <laughs> yeah, well, am not going there.
3: Yeah, 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 yeah. But anyway, so yes, perfectly safe to eat. Don't worry. The the the, the key substance that they're talking about, the callers talking about, is most likely this honeydew secretion that they give when they're 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 laying their eggs, basically. Um, so yes, you have green fly are more likely with basil actually black fly. Uh, and they're, they're, they're thriving. They're loving your basil and loving your, your nice conditions. Ease off on the water in a small bit. I would say it might be a bit damp, which is attracting them in as well. I, I probably would, I certainly wouldn't use any pesticide or, or anything at all on it because you want to eat it. So that would be much more dangerous to eat than the green fly. Um, my advice to you would be to, to put it outside. During the days, it's not. It's certainly not a hardy plant in our climate for outside day and night. Even though this week it may be, but in general it isn't. But certainly move it outside during the days at the moment. Let the fresh air at it, and hopefully the, you you'll, if you ease off in the water Hopefully you'll you'll lose a lot of those uh, flies. Spray it if you want with a little spray of, of washing up liquid and water. Again, then just when you are using the leaves, just rinse just it, rinse it off. the leaves when you're eating them. But that, yeah, it, it, it's safe to use, but it is a black fly or green fly. And in it is
4: lovely. Them. I always have. I'm, I'm a big fan of basil. I always have you fresh know, basins, have you fresh basil on fresh
3: basins, Yeah,
4: and yeah. you just, and I love the smell of it and everything. Uh, I just every bit it's, of it. In it's summer, just in summer gorgeous, yeah. yeah. Uh, Michael in Kildare is saying, has anybody seen the swallows? The weather's good enough, but he said, I haven't seen many flying around the place. I thought I spotted them last night. Have you seen swallows?
3: I've seen a few, but he's yeah. probably right. No, I'm no bird There isn't as many either, around. There aren't as many, definitely yeah. there aren't as many, no. I've yeah. seen a few, but not that many, no.
4: Yeah, and particularly now with the weather, with the weather, but maybe, they'll come in now with the, with the good
3: weather I was outside last week Trish and my, my I guess I thing called white finger which you get from too, too much use of machinery like lawnmowers and chainsaws and things when I was younger so my fingers go very white in the cold uh, and I had white finger last week so it, it oh, has no. been cold it now,
4: has week, yeah. it has yeah. Raymond my garden is covered with daisies anything I can do Corolla loves them Yeah, da- loves yeah them. not everybody likes daisy, daisies
3: yeah and I mean yeah. It's, however many years you and I are talking on yeah. this programme Trish I've, I've been kind of saying tongue in cheek but my first answer was always grow to love them and then giving giving alternatives but I'm getting less and less tongue in cheek about it and I'm actually we have to learn to love them because daisies and dandelions and all these things that they are sustaining life they're sustaining the bees which sustain biodiversity and we have to really learn to love them we've no choice you know you can use selective lawn weed killers on them uh, and they will work there are plenty of them on the market uh, uh, Green Force, I think, is, is the name of a very good one. It's a selective liquid lawn week. It'll just kill the broadleaf weeds, but not the grass. But I really would urge people, you know, not to go, because those chemicals will also be taken up by the bees and the other pollinating insects. And really, they at the moment, species extinction at the moment, is a far, far more serious issue to be worried about than daisies in the lawn daisies in the lawn are actually quite attractive so I might I might just have lost you a listener on saying that Trish I know, just, I apologize, I know. but but um, there are selective lawn weed killers out there if you want to go and use them but I would urge you to to begin to see them as a thing of beauty and not, not, not a pest
4: yeah you know? here's an interesting one coming in from Nora in Kilavollen she said her rhubarb faded and where she is living it literally went down overnight um, it, it, she's in the Kilavullen area she then got talking to other people living near her and the very same thing happened she reckons it was within a, a one mile radius in the Kilavullen area did Peter hear of anything and what could have caused that for everybody's rhubarb to fade at the same time
3: I didn't hear of a rhubarb blight hitting Kilavullen no but that's not to say that uh, it, it didn't now we've had many phone calls over the last number of weeks Trish uh, about rhubarb not doing well and I've been putting putting it down to without or I've been suggesting a possibility of an answer uh, without having scientific evidence to back it up is the, the long hot dry summer last year and I think it makes sense that that could be the problem for it not to thrive but for it to be doing well and to go overnight that does sound like some kind of a fungal infection, uh, for want of a better word, a blight. No, 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 rhubarb doesn't get blight. But, um, so it could be. I don't know is a short answer. I haven't heard heard of it, no, to answer the question. Um, I would say just do, I would follow the same advice that I've been giving to everyone for the last number of weeks, which is lift it at the end of the summer, if there's anything left to lift, and hopefully there is. Lift it, divide it, replant this. This is all in the autumn, early winter. Replant it. Uh, mulch it with a good level of, a good layer of seaweed if you can get it, because rhubarb loves it are the nature-safe granular feed, which is 100% organic feed, uh, uh, and and keep it well-watered this summer. And hopefully it's going to come back. But the answer to the question, no, I haven't heard about anything specific.
4: Okay. Hi, Peter. I bought a container in Aldi for growing tomatoes. Some of the plants have grown to over six foot height in height. I know nothing about (laughs) what I'm doing or how to manage them. Some (laughs) advice, please. I love somebody like that who's just gone out and given it a try.
3: Well, you know what, it's kind of, I love that too, and and people that are are scared, if you like, of their lack of knowledge, I always uh, compare it to myself going into uh, one of these computer shops. I know nothing about what I'm doing, but they say turn it on and it works, and it does. The same is true with your tomato plant. You don't need to know anything. Nature will do it for you. You've given it soil, you've given it water, you're giving it sunshine. Nature does the rest. You will get tomatoes. It's as simple as that. Don't be scared. Now, what I would say on saying all that is uh, you should remove, I would probably... uh, i probably six foot. I'd probably take the top out now, so you don't want it growing any higher, uh, and remove a lot of the side the side shoots, um, and leave the flowers on it. The flowers are what you want, and they're the ones that are going to give you your tomatoes. Uh, but leave well alone. I wouldn't be overcomplicating it. As I say, nature nature is fantastic. Nature will give you tomatoes.
4: Yeah, and the, and the, nothing will taste like those tomatoes. Oh, believe wood, me,
3: and, and, a, and a bit of homegrown basil, and you would want. Uh, to there more. you
4: go. There you go. Yeah. Your lunch is sorted. Hi. Patricia and Peter, uh, could could Peter suggest, what could kill grass, unwanted grass at the bottom of my garden? Um,
3: mm. Again, you have your chemical options, obviously, but as you know, I'm very slow or I'm known yeah. to recommend them. The best one is, the best chemical to use is glyphosate, which is the active ingredient in, in nearly all weed killers. But not just Roundup, but Roundup is the best known of them. Um, but obviously the jury is out on that whether it's safe to use or not I would urge you not to use it uh, but that is the best chemical to use if you want to go that, that pardon the pun but go that route uh, you could look at um, mulching over it so you'd mulch over it with either a fabric uh, like you can get mypex or one of these weed blocks or you can also get this um, biodegradable organic mulch product uh, which is instead of being a plastic weed block it's a, it's a biodegradable organic one so it breaks down over three or four years now you have cut off light and oxygen to the weeds they they will die so it doesn't matter that it biodegrades in a few years that's what you want because the the grass growth will be gone so the the best thing is either to mulch it with one of these fabrics you'll get that biodegradable one i don't think it's in the shops but i know it's at thomascabin.ie is where you'll see it Uh, so have a look at that as an option um mulch it then i wouldn't be mulching it with with bark or compost or any of that because the grass will just grow through it you would need a material Are your chemical approach are the best of all, and you you won't like this maybe, but a shovel and get out, get out there and dig it out.
4: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Could you ask Peter, please, why one of my very healthy pear trees has black spots on the fruit?
3: Okay, that's, well, it's, it's, it's as it sounds, a thing called pear black spot. It could be scab, but it, it, there, there is, it's a fungal infection that affects the, the, the pear trees. Uh, could you ask Peter why? The, well, the, the answer to the why is because it's Ireland. We have a warm and damp climate, and fungal infections love warm and damp conditions. So uh, what you need to do now is treat it with a, a solution of copper sulfate mixed with water, which is an organic broad-spectrum fungicide, which is better as a preventative, if you like, Trish, that it is as a cure so it's always better to use uh, i think that at once a year kind of a time of bud burst which is when the leaves are coming out uh, around march april and it works very well as to prevent the pear tree getting these problems uh, but it will work to a degree when it has the problem so so treat it now with your copper sulfate and water uh you i one thing i should say when you're using copper sulfate as a fungicide do make sure you rinse your fruit um because it is a base metal so do make sure you rinse your fruit before you before eat, you eat it. it yeah um but that will control it. It's perfectly safe to eat. It's just a bit unsightly, so don't worry about it. Uh, I would prune your pear tree next spring to make remove any congestion. So if it's a very cluttered tree, if you know what I mean, if there's lots of crossing branches and things like that, that 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 makes conditions ripe. For, for fungal infection because there's very poor air circulation then. So early next spring, kind of early March, uh, remove a lot of the congested growth so that the air is traveling freely through the plant um, and, and treat it then again with your, your copper sulfate and, and hope for the best. But that
4: should work for you. Okay, and thank you to somebody in Macroom who says, "Patricia, we have lots of swallows in Macroom. They've been here since May. Lots and lots of them. We did, well, Peter and I did say we're not bird watchers. So it's good to know yeah, that yeah, there yeah. are swallows around." Hi, Peter. I have a magnolia plant. I uh, planted this April, but I've now started to notice the leaves have big bites out of them. What do I do, please?
3: Uh, Again, without seeing it, it's hard to say. It's very possibly just, and I'd say most likely just slug damage. There is a possibility that, and if it's slug damage, really, I wouldn't be too worried. Um, You could use the the ferric phosphate, the the organic, environmentally sound slug pellets. Do do look for the ferric phosphate one because many slug pellets contain a thing called methaldehyde, which is toxic to the slugs and snails, but also to, to the predators, the birds and the hedgehogs. These pellets will kill all of them, uh, and, and domestic pets and humans are toxic to humans as well. So make sure that if you are using a slug pellet, that it's one containing ferric phosphate or iron phosphate and not methaldehyde. There is a possibility, and without saying it, seeing it, I couldn't be sure, but there is quite a possibility that it could be vine weevil damage. <laughs> So again, send in a picture of the leaf damage, either to yourselves in 103 or to myself on Facebook, the Irish Garden on Facebook. I'll have a look at it and give you a, a more specific answer. If it's vine weevil damage, it's more serious, I'd be more concerned about it, uh, and I, I can give you the right advice. The dreaded it. So vine, the
4: dreaded vine uh, weevil. It uh, is um, dreaded. Has Peter noticed beech tree branches hanging downwards and looking as if they're dead? Has he noticed that anywhere, and what would be the problem?
3: Beech the, tree? Uh, yep. The, the, I want more information to, to yeah. answer that properly. Like, if it's a mature beech tree, I haven't noticed it particularly at the moment, no, but okay. it, is, it is a symptom of certain illnesses with a beech tree, particularly, and that's what I need to know more, if it's a mature beech tree and you see branches like that or if you see dieback on the tips of a mature beech tree and things like that, that can be symptomatic of a thing called ganoderma, which is where the the... the the, the tree trunk is rotting from the inside out see, it actually becomes quite unstable and quite dangerous but you don't see it mm. or, until it's nearly too late um, but one of the ways that damage or what that infection manifests itself is just the way that the caller describes there so the it's branches, down. It be that. Yeah.
4: Okay, somebody has said that the flowers on my tomato plants seem to be on the side shoots.
3: Yes, that's correct. Is that okay? Oh, that's fine. That's, yeah. that's what you'd want. Yeah, yeah. That's what okay. Want.
4: Yeah. Uh, hi, Patricia. Could you ask Peter why my lupins keep getting white flower? It's an abandoned.
3: White fly, I presume. White
4: fly, sorry. White
3: yeah. Fly. The, well, well, lupins are just, lupins are prone to white fly and they're prone to aphid damage. Um, what I would do, what I would suggest you do is is give them a wash with the garlic mixed with water, which we we spoke about, I think, as recently as last week, Trish, on the program. Um, there are various different strengths. You're basically, you're pulping uh, a clove of garlic in with a litre or two of boiling water. You leave it sit for a couple of days and, and spray it on your plants. And it works because it makes the, the plant very unpalatable to whitefly and other aphids. Best bet is go into Google just Google uh, garlic wash as a, a preventative uh, and you, you'll get different rates and different strengths and different dilution rates of, of how to use it but it's a very very effective way of dealing with insecticides and I'm just going back to the tomato question there with the I'd say the reason they called in but the fact that the flowers are on the side is because I had incorrectly said remove the side for, for I mean, an- I mean,
4: for, yeah for another listener you said remove yes, it but, but yeah.
3: actually what I meant was the big leaves around the side you choose let the light at the flowers
4: Le- leave the flowers alone ok and one final yeah. one somebody bought a hydrangea when do do I plant from the pot I'm watering it well, but wondering when do I plant it out into the garden?
3: Well, when you're planting from a pot into the garden, you can do that at any time of the year because you've no root disturbance. It's when you're going the other way that you're, you're under time pressure. So if you were taking it out of the garden, you could only do that during the winter. But if you're putting it into the garden from a pot, you can do it any, you can do it today. Just make sure you keep it well watered over the, as if it's in a pot for the next number of weeks.
4: Okay. All right. What are you up to this week?
3: This weekend I'm having a, a quiet one at school, summer holidays kick off, so right. we're, I'm treating ourselves and we're, we're having a quiet one.
4: Great stuff. Enjoy and we'll talk to you next Wednesday. Thanks, thanks, thanks for, for that. that. Uh, bye-bye. Uh, Peter Dowdle of the Irish com. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we'll be back with you tomorrow morning at 10. Until to the Patricia Messenger.